Hey there, film fans. What's up? Welcome to another episode of the Second Day Film Podcast. It's the official podcast of the Second Day Film Club. I'm your host, Brandon Champion, joined by the movie maestro himself, Mike Nichols, on a beautiful Sunday, May 22nd, 2022. It's been a glorious day here in West Michigan, Mike. I got uh, 18 holes in before noon, did some some landscaping in the front yard, and I don't know how things are in Texas, but we've been waiting for a day like this here in the mitten for a long time and definitely needed it. But uh, what's up, man? How are things going? Those are okay. It's been very warm down here in Texas. It was like in the upper 90s and lower 100s for the last couple of weeks, but it's it's recently and so to this morning when I took the dog out for a walk, it was like in the 60s, which was extremely enjoyable. Uh, so it, because of the heat in Texas, a lot of people do just treat it like a, the way they treat Michigan winters, where it's like, oh, you don't go outside during this kind of weather. You stay inside and you watch movies. So I've gotten to watch a lot of stuff lately, and uh, we have a lot to talk about on Second Day Film Podcast. Yeah, it just so turns out this is a movie podcast, so staying inside watching movies is uh, pretty clutch uh, when you consider that. Um, Evan Dean, obviously not here, and uh, Evan may not be here for a while. We had, a, I would say, a productive, intense conversation in the group chat this week. Evan's got some other things going on right now. Just doesn't think he can commit the time uh, and energy that it takes to being on the podcast on a semi-regular basis, um, because you know I know we just come on here and talk, Mike, but... You know, it does take some effort and time to keep up on the podcast, whether it's a trip to the theater or seeking things out to watch. Um, Turns out watching things is a key part of being on the podcast. So, uh, I mean, if you just don't have enough time to to watch things, I can see how it can be a little bit of a uh, a burden. And we didn't want that. We don't want people we don't want this podcast to feel like a chore. Um, But we definitely you know, Evan is one of the OG members of this podcast. Me, him and the popcorn correspondent started this back in 2018. Um, And he's been a valued, productive member of the podcast. He has I've always respected his ability to to watch and analyze films. And uh, he's devoted a lot of man hours to it. And um, hopefully we'll have him back on more in like a guest host role in the future. Um, but, uh, obviously, you know, we won't be hearing from him as much, uh, lately. So you're stuck with just me and Mike. And if, if there's anyone out there who wants to come on and talk film, we'd be happy to have guests or a rotating panel or whatever, but, uh, just hit us up. But Mike, uh, guess that means you have to carry more of the load. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I'll go. You know, Evan's not just valued and, you know, uh, experience. He, I, I would say Evan is a beloved member. Like you love Evan. I love Evan. Um, he's always fun to chat with about movies. You know, I, I, I kind of became friends with him through this, this podcast. Like I, I don't remember ever meeting Evan in college. It's possible it happened and my, you know, just dumb trunk butt doesn't remember ever meeting him in a, at a college party. But, uh, yeah, like this, this pod was a great way for me to, you know, get to know Evan during this time and also just to make a new friend during COVID and, um, yeah, like I was sad when he was texting and saying, you know, hey, I'm, you know, I just think this isn't what he, you know, he wants to spend his time on right now and he's focusing on other things. And I was sad, but I understood how he felt and I do wish him the best and um, hope I, I'm expecting and hoping he comes back on as a guest for future, you know, episodes. And uh, yeah, like I've watched some good stuff because of Evan's recommendation, you know, that, that basketball documentary you know, that I watched because Evan kept like just pressing on us. Like it was a great watch and um, definitely in my top, like basketball, like not just basketball documentaries. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, the last dance always is going to be number one for that probably. But uh, like, you know, just one of the best documentaries I've ever seen. And that's from Evan. So um, yeah, like I'm, I'm sad he's not going to be on anymore, but I, as a regular at least but uh i would do wish him all the best and i'm glad we'll still be friends and um had good text with him earlier like today and um yeah like just great guy and um wish him all the best can't wait for him to be back on yep shouts to Evan dean thanks for thanks for everything buddy we appreciate it um but as they say in show business mike the show must go on and coming up on today's episode uh we will be reviewing uh, a, a new documentary that hit netflix and also marvel's latest the disney plus series moon Knight. and then coming up at the end of the show we'll be sort of throwing it back uh to what we used to do in the early days of the podcast uh a, a segment uh this one throwback theater it's when we sort of look back at a individual year and yes, sort of analyze the year in movies 
Yeah, like Mike, for all Mike, listeners who don't really care what we think about movies, like this is great for you to care about what you think about movies because you'll get to like go back and be like, oh, what did I love about movies in that year? Because we're actually going to be focusing on movies in a specific year, and you'll get to remember yes. what you loved about movies in <laughs> 2001. And I always said, Mike, when we started this podcast that, you know, part of our slogan is that we review movies new and old or talk about movies new and old. We've definitely been slacking on the older part of that promise, uh, trying to keep up on all the movies coming out. But this has been a core value of this podcast for a long time, you know, talking about movies in previous years, maybe bringing up movies that people uh, maybe forgot about or slipped through the cracks or were underrated or overrated. Um, so we're calling this segment throwback theater. We've done it before, but as Mike said, we're reviewing the films in the year 2001, which was a great year for movies. We'll get into that more later in the show. Um, but uh, yeah, looking forward to it, Mike, it's, it'll be good to sort of throw it back and, and get back to, uh, some of the some of our old segments uh now in maybe some of the slower times so let's get to it mike uh let's get to it champ <laughs> we're gonna start things off with a documentary that is getting a lot of buzz on netflix just premiered uh on may 11th it's called our father uh it's directed by oh, lucy man. jordan uh after a woman's at-home dna test reveals multiple half siblings she discovers a shocking scheme involving donor sperm and a popular fertility doctor uh we're not gonna be able to talk about this without spoiling it so if you haven't seen our father you might want to stop now and, and uh go back and watch it and then come back and listen to us because uh i mean even though the plot summary was just given there uh, there's a lot of twists and turns and shocking developments and crazy stuff going on in this documentary, Mike. Um, so I'll give you the first word. Give me a thought on our father. Okay. So for those of you who haven't heard about this case, this was that case that was going all over the news where basically a, a doctor who had been doing like infertile insemination, like he'd been basically walking into a back room and then masturbating into a cup or whatever and using his own sperm as the sample. And then all these patients got pregnant with his sperm, not a, not a college student or not a donation sperm, his sperm. And so then over the years, all these siblings try to find each other again. And they're using like, you know, these like, you know, ge like generation websites where you can oh, find out who your family is, who your lineage is. And they're all realizing, oh, I think we're all related to this main doctor in town who is someone we all know and at this point there's like almost a hundred kids who can track back their lineage to this guy and what's creepy is like these are people that knew him and he never mentioned that he was their biological father these are women that were going in for their like gynecological exams and like he was touching them in very personal places and he wasn't mentioning oh i'm also your biological father this is a guy who showed up in people's homes and was like, oh, yeah, I'm your personal friend. And also this kid that I helped you, you know, get pregnant with. It's mine biologically. And it's just so like creepy and sick and, and so inappropriate to like, you know, medical like health and and respect. And like this was a guy who also when the kids tried to come out and like, hey, I think you're our dad. He tried to like shut them down with his religious views about like, well, you know, the Bible says this and you shouldn't like you know, you should just be thankful you're here. And there, and one girl said it best where she basically told him, you will not use my God to justify your sins, which I thought was one of the best lines of the whole, you know, the whole documentary where, you know, this guy basically tries to come off as this like super religious guy and never can get away with what he did and lying to people and using his own sperm, which ironically enough would not have even been eligible for a sperm donation. He has like, all these different autoimmune diseases and like his own genetic passing on wouldn't have been accepted because he would have been, you know, passing on these diseases. So that's, what's so ironic about it. But um, yeah, like I wish we'd gotten more of this guy's perspective on it. Cause everyone like in his community, like, well, he is a good guy. He does all this stuff. He was very generous. He was, you know, a good doctor. And it's like, we don't really hear enough from his side of the, of the of the story or his people like because it's very much side towards the siblings and the children's experiences and their own frustration with him as a as a biological father and the victims who experienced this doctor who did not give them you know the truth and was clearly like you know full of mispractice so i wish that there was more balance into humanizing him more and exploring like why he made these choices 
but either way, like it's no excuse for what he did. And this is definitely one of those shocking stories to where it's like, man, only in our, you know, in our lifetime could these kind of genetic, you know, malfeasance stories come out. Like this is a very shocking and sad story. And I hope that laws do change to protect women and protect future children from getting doctors like these messing up with their lives. It's, I'm very yeah. glad this was a subject for a documentary. Yeah, and we can get more into that at the end because that's sort of how the documentary ends is sort of pointing out how this sort of, you know, crime, I don't even, I mean, it is, it's invasive, but as they point out in the documentary, there's not really a specific crime for what he does that fits it. Um, so like that, that is an interesting aspect of the documentary where there's, he was basically doing something that is definitely wrong and immoral, um, but they couldn't actually criminally charge him. So how he was sort of operating in the gray areas and the gray areas of the law, that's definitely an interesting aspect of it. But that part of the story didn't make much sense to me. And I know that they do dramatize these things just for the effect of the video, but like, isn't, isn't it just simply malfeasance that like he said, Oh, your sperm is coming from this type of person. I, this type of, I mean, that was clearly a lie. Like a doctor fraud. lied to their patients. Like, isn't that clearly fraud or malfeasance of some kind? Well, like, I agree. I don't know why that prosecutor was being like, we can't charge him with any. I mean, I guess they can't, I guess what he was saying is they can't charge him with anything sexually related, like sexual assault, but like they clear, very clearly fraud was being committed, but this documentary, you know, if we want to jump back to the beginning of it, like obviously the premise is cool. I mean, or not cool, but like very intriguing. Uh, I mean, just reading that. <laughs> is it the premise is cool. <laughs> well, the I, I mean, it's the, the the idea for doing a documentary on this is intriguing. It's interesting. It sounds like a story it's that people are going to want to listen to. It's fascinating. Um, so, like, I, I was hooked from that. When I first popped it on, I thought the first like 30 minutes or so were kind of slow. It was sort of jumping around all over the place. It seemed kind of like. I don't know. It wasn't like engaging me for how crazy of a story it could, it actually is. But when it flipped on the, when it flipped for me was when they started focusing on the victims uh, because like yeah, there was absolutely. some really effective imagery in this where like they showed like this map of the city. I think it's like Carmel, Indiana or something like that. And there's all these red tacks where the people, the siblings are living and they're all like right around each other. And it's just like this crazy visual visually that really was impactful to see. And also as the documentary goes on, you know, we see the number of siblings keep going up. The count goes up and we're like, when is this going to stop? When is this going to stop? But I thought the documentary, like about 30, about 40 minutes in, it started flipping it in le focusing less about the doctor and more on the, uh, the victims and sort of the whole tone of the documentary change where it changes where, um, you know, they're showing like these shots of the town and these people are talking about how any person they know could end up being their sibling or like people they live in the town with could be yeah. their sibling. And it's like the music really ratches, ratches up like to horror almost. And it's like this, it's almost like this doctor, even though he's not on screen, he has like this looming haunting presence that the people in this town can't escape. And just the idea that like they could log on one day and find out that, you know, their barber or the guy who sold them their car or their doctor could be their sibling or worse yet, someone they went on a date with two weeks ago could be their half brother. The idea that this presence is haunting this town um, really amped up the horror and the shock level of the documentary. Yeah. I, I honestly felt like the way it was shot and like the music they added to certain scenes, it, it felt a little like insidious, overly like dramatic overly like creepy like when it didn't need to be at certain points i'm not i'm not in any way denying like what the guy did was creepy but just like when you're telling a story like you you know when every single interview is like framed through this oh let's put a let's put a different color lens to make this moment feel creepier and let's like cut what someone says to feel you know like creepier without their full sentence and their full context of what they're trying to talk about in the moment. Like, I don't like that all these true crime things are doing that where everything feels overly insidious. But um, I will also say like, as someone who like does well, so I think, you know, this, I don't know if all of this knows, but I, I did find out in my early twenties, I had a half sibling, um, you know, someone who might, was born before any of my siblings with my parents. And um, it was very emotional. 
finding out I had a half sibling. It was very emotional when we got to finally talk and meet and, um, she passed away last year and, um, you know, we had a very like loving relationship. Um, so I will just say for anyone who has half siblings or for anyone who, you know, was adopted and is maybe looking for their family, this will be a very emotional documentary. It was, it was very emotional for, even for me, like, and, and I didn't have like, you know, a bad, like, you know, like <laughs> no, no creepy doctor did this to my family. Um, but I will just say like having a half sibling and finding someone through, you know, myself, like this kind of documentary can be triggering. It can be very emotional. And um, I, I do just want to offer all my sympathy to any of the kids and the, you know, the siblings who went through this. Um, it's a but very I... intense documentary uh, for people that have been through something like this in their lives. And um yeah, like I, I love that that one sibling stood up to him and basically said, you know, your your you know your sins or your problems are not the fault of us or, or you know our belief system of our God. Like people need to take accountability for this stuff. So yeah, like I just, I, all the siblings have a good relationship, and um, I genuinely do wish them all the best because finding half siblings in your life can be amazing. Um, so yeah, I well, hope you have a good relationship like I had with my sister um, before she passed. The um the the thing that's crazy though is like I like just the focus on the victims when they're like sitting there how like you know once they found out that you know this creepy doctor is their father like how they literally will sit there and look in the mirror each other someone like can you imagine just looking in the mirror and being like in school because they legit might be your biological cousin like that's so intense but just the stuff where they were like oh like i'm sitting here looking in the mirror and i don't feel comfortable in my own skin like i feel dirty in my own body because i'm like the offspring of this guy and like i don't know i thought that was effective the way that they showed like how anybody walking around in this town like you could see them and people are like oh i can tell that that's my half sibling like it would just be a really like invasive feeling uh, it feels like your identity and individualism would be stri- uh almost like it's stripped away and that that's i think yeah. that's the real power in this documentary is it sort of shows um you know the true impact of what this guy had done i agree my main criticism is i could have gone without you know all the siblings sitting around with each other making sort of conspiracy theories or sort of oh, yeah. making theories about the doctors about, <laughs> yeah. you know, how What's he wanted he doing to just because he wanted to start a race war. Like... Yeah. I could have gone without all that because like... all that sort of hearsay and just sort yeah, of them well... being mad. And I don't know. I didn't think it was really that productive and conducive exactly. to helping the documentary along. Yeah. So... I mean, and this is the problem, like, and just for anyone, if, if anyone's ever going to, like if anyone's ever going to listen to this and be like, Hey, someone's going to make a documentary or do a story about your life. If you don't talk to the journalists or you don't talk to the documentary team, or you don't talk to whoever's writing that story. Well, guess what? They have nothing to print on your side. So they're left with everyone else's narrative of you. So if you're like, Oh, I can't believe they wrote that about me. They wrote this. It's like, well, that was what everyone else thought of you. You didn't tell your story. So if, if, if someone is telling your story, and you give them no access to you, then guess what? Your story is left to whatever they can find because they have nothing to work on. It's not because they're maliciously trying to frame you anyway. That's just the only information. The only information they have of you is the stuff everyone else says. So well, they did try you know. to get like his former partner on there or some of the yeah. nurses that worked with him. And, and they no- they noted that there was a lot of people in the community who supported this guy and, you know, yeah. so I, I think it probably is a little bit more of a nuanced issue, but you can't deny that what he was doing was creepy. So I, I think it's they're correct to vilify him, but I would have liked a little more balance because that's what I like in my documentaries. I like them to tell the whole story and, and get both sides because otherwise it just sort of feels like a hit piece. And, you know, maybe yeah. this guy deserves a hit piece, but I, I just think it hurts the documentary when it's not as balanced. Yeah, I mean, um, I don't even know if it's about like, you know, balance for me as much as it's about humanity. It's like, you've told me the humanity of the, the kids. Tell me the humanity about this guy. Like, where does this come from? Because at the end of the day, I still have no idea why this guy did this. And yeah, we can throw out like, well, he wanted to create a white race, like quiver of children or like, you know, maybe he killed a, a kid. So he felt guilty in a car accident, you know, like, but at the end of the day, we don't really know. And frankly, that's on him. He never shared his story. 
and maybe he's scared or ashamed to share his side of the story but either way like he kept that story from all the future generations that are going to try to learn from this moment of history and so that leaves us with an incomplete picture and that's on this guy so yeah i wish his children the best and i hope they can find identity out of his bad legacy um but yeah, what a what a fascinating moment of science and you know legacy and idea of family to come together because like I mean you you couldn't have had this moment in like other other moments of technology and history like there there was no other oh yeah we used to infertilely inseminate people through these kind of doctors like they didn't really have that in in, in like ancient Egypt you know I mean well that's it, what makes this yeah. worse is that he was like the leading doctor in the field of yeah, doing like this, this is, you know. <laughs> you know, this is a this is a very specific type of technology and and way of developing families and a culture and community. And this is a guy who uses religion to lie about it and hide behind his own weird bullshit. And yeah. uh, a very interesting documentary. So I I recommend it to my family. I recommend it to everyone. Um, yeah, Our Father on on Netflix. Uh, check it out. It's, there's a lot of good lessons in it. I give it a. I gave it a. I give it a A minus, just because they didn't show enough of. They didn't really get to the core of what made him tick, which maybe isn't mm-hmm. their fault, but also it's not a full complete documentary without that part of the information of the story. So yeah, A minus. Yeah. Good job, Netflix. I I really like this one. I'm at a seven out of ten for most of the same reasons. Engaging, uh, interesting premise, definitely worth a documentary. Maybe a little bit overproduced uh, with some of the the cutscenes and the you know thematic music, although some of that worked for me. And then yeah, maybe just not enough uh, from the other side. So that's where I knock it. But definitely worth watching, uh, especially if you're into the true crime stuff. Uh, let's move on, Mike. We got the, yeah, especially just for the siblings. Like those kids deserve to have their story told. Like everyone deserves to know that this kind of thing can happen. And this, like these kind of laws should change. Like doctors should totally like be held accountable for this kind of behavior. And I'm glad that this kind of story did lead to that. And I hope it leads to more accountability for that kind of thing. Moving on to uh, more, more Marvel, Mike, we, we really can't avoid, avoid Marvel with the uh, rate that they kick things out, but it's the latest mini series on Disney plus it's called moon Knight. was created by Doug Menick. Uh, it stars Oscar, I- Oscar Isaac, Ethan Hawke, uh, May Calloway, uh, F Murray Abraham, uh, amongst others, the plot summary uh, Stephen Grant discovers he's been granted the powers of an Egyptian moon god, but he soon finds out that these newfound powers can be both a blessing and a curse to his troubled life. Uh, Mike, I, I, Moon Knight is the latest uh, of these uh, Disney Plus series to come out. It's been, I don't know, what is this, the seventh one, the sixth one, the fifth one? <laughs> There's been so many of them. Moon Knight is a character that I don't think uh, you would call a top tier Marvel character. He's, I think, it, unless you're really into comic books, um, you probably don't know a lot about Moon Knight. So when I saw this was coming out, I was excited because I didn't really know that much about the character. Trailers look cool. I like Oscar Isaac. Uh, and I think we got to go there first with this this uh, miniseries is straight to Oscar Isaac because he's playing both uh, Stephen Grant and uh, he's also playing, what's the other guy's name? I'm forgetting here. Spectre, um, Mark, Spectre. Mark Spectre. Yep, Mark Spectre. Um, so he's playing a, a guy with a, you know multiple personalities and which is an interesting premise to start with for a Marvel show for sure. But the way that he was able to create these two fully flushed out characters and make them apart from each other, um, the way he's bouncing back and forth, literally sentence by sentence at times, um, he's shocked, he's intense, he's humorous at times, he's sarcastic at times, he's straight up crazy at times. Uh, I mean, Oscar Isaac is all over the place in this, and I think he really carries uh, the show and makes it pretty watchable. Yeah, I mean, so far from Disney Plus Marvel shows, we've got WandaVision, which kicked it all off, which like was an absolute perfect piece of like Marvel TV filmmaking to launch like a Marvel TV like legacy. Then we got Falcon and Winter Soldier, we got Loki, we got What If, uh, we got Hawkeye, and now we're getting Moon Knight. Um, so of all of those, I would say Moon Knight is probably one of the best ones, actually. Um, I think if anything, it's certainly a, an acting like showcase for Oscar Isaac, who absolutely owned in like all three of the roles. I guess maybe four <laughs> he technically has in this in this show. 
Um, I don't know. It's almost as if like Disney was like, man, we had a great actor and we really dropped the ball for him in this other amazing franchise we had. Let's see if we can give him another amazing franchise and see what he does with actual good writing and character development. Oh, what do you know? Oscar Isaac's amazing. Uh, so yeah, that's that's kind of my opinion uh, of Moon Knight is like, oh, it's, it's almost like Disney is asking forgiveness for uh, what little they did with Poe Dameron. They're like, hey, we'll give you Moon Knight. And now he gets to shine. And everyone in the world gets to see, oh, man, Oscar Isaac is just good in every <laughs> single role he has in one single show. Um, yeah, props to Oscar Isaac for just owning this role. Um, overall, I, I it was like, a pretty simple, you know, superhero narrative. There wasn't like simple. What the hell are you talking about? I mean, it was this, just this like, show was anything but simple, man. In fact, the first eh, the first comments when I say, eh. what did you think of Moon Knight? Most people say to me. I was confused. That what was all that? That was that was crazy. Well, so we're uh, not most I mean, people, champ. <laughs> well, yeah, Mike, but I, we don't need to be pretentious and say this is simple. Like Hawkeye was a simple. Yeah. Hawkeye was a simple narrative. This was not a simple narrative. I mean, you got time jumping. You've got it's basically like a big mystery box. You've got these two. You've got like uh, you know unreliable narrator narrator going on here. You've got random CGI egyptian gods popping up you've got ships going through sand you've got like an asylum going on like there's a lot going on here you think you think the average person can't figure out what's going on with moon knight i mean yeah it's it's well done i'm not saying it's not and i'm not saying it's not like you know like the way they cut and the way they jump between like you know the the introspective versus like the literal and what's happening like i'm not saying it's not well done and it's not happening but i think the average person can figure out what's happening with moon knight you don't think so? you don't think so i think that you think if your mom or your dad watched moon knight they'd be like i have no idea like yeah I no yeah idea. yeah every most people can figure out what's happening no my dad was one of the people who said i don't know what the hell i just watched uh, so like, yeah, I mean, it, when you first throw your dad the movie, under when, the bus on your own podcast, <laughs> well, it's just true, man. I mean, like it's a, there's a lot going on when this show starts, like he's like, you know, strapped to a bed, he's having blackouts. We don't really know what's going on. I mean, if you have a background with the comics, you might know what's going on, but I think it's I, I interesting background with the comics. I honestly, like, I had no idea who this character was or what was like, what this backstory was. I did read that he was like basically Batman. And I was like, wait, Batman is not like connected to like a bat like mythology. <laughs> like, like, you know, he gets his he gets his like, you know, bat bat blades from Wayne Industries, not from like, you know, some Egyptian god or something. I thought it was a little <laughs> weird that people compared him to bat Batman compared to like the comic mythology, but uh I don't I think I this is that. like this is a hero that we haven't really ever it, champ. This is a a, a a hero that or in a vibe that we haven't really seen in the MCU before, which I appreciated. I mean, it's definitely got no. some horror elements to it. It's got uh, yeah, I like the Indiana Jones. Any horror elements? <laughs> well, it has horror elements, but not really like this. This has more like of an adventure, like Indiana Jones, like the Mummy vibe to it, which that is true. I appreciated. Yeah, I I liked it. I I thought it was cool. It was. Sorry, go ahead. Do you just want to take it from here, or do you, no? You I interrupted you. you. I'm sorry. I'm trying to trying to get a word in here, Mike. Uh, I'm sorry. Please go ahead. Tell me everything you felt about Moon Knight. No, it's fine. It's just well, there's not enough Moon Knight in the Moon Knight show. That's a big criticism of mine. Uh, oh. I mean, we we only get to see bits and pieces of him. So, what was that? I said, oh, greed. Yeah, I mean, it's like there's, there's, uh, I mean, we, I like the last, uh, the last fight when he's sort of transitioning between Mister Knight and Moon Knight, and this, yeah, and they're fighting cool. on the rooftops, and they're, mm-hmm. he's jumping across the moon. There was some cool action going on there. I thought Ethan Hawke was a good villain as Harrow. Uh, he was pretty nuanced and flushed out, and uh, just the idea of what was going on, like within the asylum, and what were some like, okay, are we actually crazy here? Or is he the crazy one or who's the crazy one here that I had fun sort of unraveling that mystery. Uh, but this show is out there, man. When you like one second, you got, you know, like some serious drama going on. And then all of a sudden you've got big CGI hippos walking around and there's, you know, Amit <laughs> shows up at the end and it, it's like, Oh, uh, okay. I could handle the hippo, but the, 
the the Cajun uh, alligator or whatever is going on at the end here. Uh, this is pretty wild. Uh, and just the voice of Kanchu uh, by F. Murray Abraham, I thought was, oh, he was, was really effective. Like the deep, very, very booming, much. like godlike voice. Uh, I thought that was effective and him sort of talking to himself and Mark Spector trying to decide if he's crazy. Uh, you know, both of them trying to decide who's crazy. I just thought there was a lot of good sort of ideas. And the idea to have a main character with multiple personality disorder yeah. uh, is an interesting way to approach the superhero genre. Yeah, I, I did like that storytelling aspect. And I, I agree. I loved seeing more Egyptian mythology come into the Marvel mythos. Um, do I think a lot of the characters, like as they got brought in, almost got treated like throwaway plushy toys? A little bit, but uh, you know, either way, it was nice to see them do somewhat realistic looking CGI of a crocodile and hippopotamus like God. That was all fun. Like it, Egyptian mythology is pretty cool. Like I do wish more people would research it. So I hope the show does dig into that more for people. But um, yeah, I, yeah, overall, I feel like Roman that... and Roman and Greek mythology get all the hype, and, and Egyptian yeah. <laughs> Egyptian just kind of gets. Uh, but yeah, it's super interesting. I mean, I, I definitely oh, went down sure. the Wikipedia rabbit hole with the Egyptian mythology after this show. Because, I mean, I know everyone knows Osiris, Horus, but getting these other gods flushed out was interesting. Yeah, and if you want to learn more about Egyptian mythology and stuff, you should watch a very authentic movie called Gods of Egypt. Oh, man, like... (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's obviously a joke. Please don't watch that movie. It's trash. Um, But... Yeah, like I, I'm glad that this that Marvel tried to do it a little bit. I again, I do wish Marvel had been a little bit more. I don't know if reverence the right word, but just I wish they'd tried to been a little bit more serious about it with doing it. Like just I don't know some of the Egyptian mythology. Again, it did feel like they were almost creating like plushy toys. Like, and I didn't like that aspect of it. Um, but again, uh, overall. Good show, great performance by Oscar Isaac. Uh, you know, loved loved what he did, and interested to see how this character fits into the rest of the Marvel universe. Um, was the end battle a little bit like, you know, not as satisfying as I would have wanted? Yeah, especially even the the real the reveal of Jake Lockie as like, oh, the whole final third battle third. ended <laughs> mysteriously. You don't know why. But we'll resolve it in an end credit scene. Like that's not the way you resolve like a main storyline like that. Like that was, you know, imagine if like Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader are about to fight in Return of the Jedi. Like, okay, will he accept him as his son or not? Like, will he be able to save his father or not before the Empire or before the Emperor? Here we go. Cut. Oh, it's finished. And then like you find out in an after credit scene, yeah, Luke like got, turned his father and Darth Vader threw the Emperor into the into the heart of the Death Star which apparently doesn't matter because Oscar Isaac was years later forced to say the line somehow Palpatine returned but um, I didn't didn't like the way it resolved the ending a little bit too quickly without much of an explanation and then like saved it for the after credits so again Marvel really hasn't fully landed a great ending for their TV shows there have been some good endings but not as super satisfying as we would have wanted Overall, though, Moon Knight rocked as a show. I'd probably give it a B plus overall. Um, I loved, loved, loved the episode where they're on the death barge and they're trying to go back into his mind and relive his memories and like find out what the balance of their souls. That that was to me the best episode and worth watching the whole show just for that episode. Um, overall, See, that it's- episode ended perfectly, in my opinion, where Stephen Grant gets knocked off the boat. And it's right? like, yeah, it so and he dies and it's like, okay, so this is Mark, you know, realizing that he has to let go of Steven now, because we should talk about this show goes there with violence, yeah. with child this, abuse, this uh, which I didn't which His abuse still counts as part of his own soul. Like, really? I loved that dimension of it. Very, very much. Well, yeah, but it was, I thought that it was kind of like when Steven got knocked off the boat and died, that it was kind of like Mark coming to terms with what he kind of tried to bury away. But then they right. just sort of bring him back again. So they kind of undo that sort of trope, which I guess you want to have them both fighting again together in the finale. But I, I would have kind of liked it if they just would have left it at that, uh, honestly. But it worked out. I mean, it, it, this show is like it's kind of all over the place in a way because you have a show that's dealing with child abuse. But at the same time, you have a show where there's these 
CGI animal gods walking around. So it's kind of all over the place. It's kind of out there, but I definitely appreciated the show for dealing with some more sort of mature thematic topics that we haven't seen the MCU go to before. Yeah, And the CGI Egyptian animal gods will have very British accents and talk about like, oh, hi, I like this. And it's like, okay, come on. Like it, yeah. it just it, that that feels less authentic, which annoyed me because they're like, okay, if you're gonna do their culture, then do their culture. Like, don't like plug it into your Disney narrative and I don't like know, they do with Kanchu. Yeah, Kanchu has like a sort of what you would think an Egyptian god sounds like. The yeah, hippo voice kind of ne- threw me off. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not saying that can never work in the right way. Like, Lord knows, probably anything Robin Hood I like probably has a huge Americanized like aspect to it. But for that, it's it just, I don't know, it, it didn't feel like it worked as well. I'm at an 8 out of 10. I liked it quite a bit. I think it's probably one of my top three favorite of the shows. Maybe four, maybe t- maybe top four, but it's in the upper half of them. I, I appreciated it. I liked it, but I, I, I'm a sucker for mythology and history stuff. So I kind of like that getting folded in. And uh, like I said, I like the character and Oscar Isaac, definitely one of the best performances we've seen so far in the MCU. So Moon Knight, definitely worth checking out. And uh, as far as Marvel and Disney plus goes, they just keep pumping them out, Mike. So hopefully the quality doesn't dip with too much content being pushed well, out too fast, which is another conversation we've had that yeah. we don't really have time to tonight, but if you just want to <laughs> have a quick thought, so uh, is, is that is that your polite and diplomatic way of letting me know, hey, don't talk about how the CGI was actually kind of not great for this? <laughs> I just don't think it's like Evan made that comment. And it's like, I don't think we can expect a Disney Plus TV show that have the same kind of CGI as like Spider-Man No Way Home. You know, so we got to cut him a little break there. And I didn't think the CGI was bad. Wait, you thought the CGI in Spider-Man No Way Home was great? <laughs> I didn't think it was that great. It was a great movie, but I don't think the CGI was that good. Thought it was fine uh not my favorite of the marvel movies but i thought it was okay but yeah it, it was name. okay it was fine like I, I, I don't know this is a whole nother conversation but yeah i agree moon knight was good solid solid little show i give it a b plus all right i'm in an eight so that's moon knight it's on disney plus you can check it out now um yeah so let's move on mike to throwback theater um it's been hard lately as you guys know i just had a kid She's about two months old. She's doing good, doing great. Um, but it's a lot harder to go to the theater when you have a newborn, it turns out. So haven't been able to get to the theater and see The Northman, for example, uh, which is a movie I really want to see. <laughs> or uh, Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness just came out. Haven't been able to see that. So um, we decided to throw it back. Back to uh, the beginning here. We used to do these segments all the time. Uh, and it's called Throwback Theater. And basically what we do is we'll name a specific year. Each of us will point out a film we loved, a film that we thought was underrated, and a film that sort of we had high hopes for that disappointed. So it's kind of just like a a look back at the year at movies. So throwback theater for 2001. uh, Big year for movies. I mean, this is, I mean, highest grossing films of 2001. You're looking at Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, Monsters, Inc., Shrek, Ocean's Eleven, uh, amongst others. So big year for kicking off franchises. As far as the Academy Awards, A Beautiful Mind took home Best Picture. Ron Howard took her for A Beautiful Mind. Denzel Washington won Best Actor for Training Day. Halle Berry won for Monsters Ball. Uh, Jim Broadbent won Best Supporting Actor and Jennifer Connelly won Best Supporting Actress also for A Beautiful Mind. So as I mentioned, big year for franchises. Um, As I just said, throwback theater, a movie we love, a film we thought was underrated, a film that we had high hopes for that we thought disappointed. Let's start with movies we love, Mike. Give me a movie from 2001. And obviously, you know, there's some layups here (laughs) that we could go with. I personally, when I go throwback theater and I didn't really say this to you beforehand, because you've never really done one of these, but I personally like to go movies that are maybe a little bit more off the radar, maybe haven't, you know, aren't talked about or people don't know about just to sort of be like, Hey, you should watch this movie from 2001, but there's no really hard criteria for this. So what's a movie you love from 2001? Okay. This was a very hard list because I wrote down, I think, so our, our options were one movie we Don't loved. go naming off, hold on, don't go naming off every movie either. I don't want you to steal anyone's thunder, so 
you know, okay. just give me a movie. You know, so we wrote one movie we love for 2001, one movie we hate for 2001, and one movie nice. we think is underrated for 2001. So we would love to see your comments and your experience for those. Um, for me, I wrote down literally five movies for each category just because I genuinely felt that strongly about it. Um, I wish Evan was here because I did put down Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring for a movie that I love 2001. Is that the movie that you picked? No, because it's obvious. Yeah, it's obvious. I would say Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone is also obvious. Ocean's 11, which I just rewatched, obvious. Train Day is obvious. But you know what's also... You're doing not... what... Just name a movie. God, you're right. doing what I just I will... told you not to. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, well, that's the beauty of this podcast. Is I You tell us what to do and none of us do it. But uh, I love, in 2001, a movie I remember even seeing it in theaters. Shrek. So my sister Renee and I took my grandma to see Shrek in theaters. We're like, okay, we saw the we saw the trailer. We're like, this will be a cute family friendly movie. We'll go take my grandma. My grandma was horrified <laughs> by that movie. Oh, he took earwax out of his ears and made a candle, and like, oh, he made fart jokes. My grandma thought it was his like horrible. She was like, this is an awful, unfunny. How can you kids like this? My sister and I laughed our butts off the entire movie. Shrek did one of the the great things <clears throat> our generation was looking for. It not only, I mean, other people have done this, but like Shrek kind of created a fairy tale multi- multiverse. Like, and you could argue that like Into the Woods by Stephen Sondheim did this a long time ago. But it created a movie where you got to see all the different like fairy tale characters. You got to see them then all being spoofed. And then you got to see them being turned into a genuine story that not only made fun of Disney, but was also a great movie in the thread of what Disney themes are all about, which was being different and finding yourself and like, you know, the true hero. But it had a much more like a like mature, darker theme to it. And it probably changed a lot of cinema as we know it. I know it's like crazy to say about Shrek, you know, Oh, like the ogre fantasy movie, but Shrek did change a lot of the way like films were made in terms of parody, the way films were made in franchise. I mean, you could argue that you wouldn't have the Marvel universe without Shrek. Like there's a genuine argument to be made there. So in terms of like some of the best films that came out in 2001, I'll try to avoid the obvious of Fellowship, Harry Potter, Ocean's Eleven, Train Day. I'm going to go with Shrek. Uh, God bless Shrek. And if you agree with me, then let's talk about it. And in the morning, I'm making waffles. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Shrek was fun, man. It was it was a movie that sort of just like took the, the, the uh, fantasy genre, the fairy tale genre and turned it on his head which was a fun premise um and the animation was cool obviously donkey super member and it spawned several sequels so uh i mean <clears throat> successful franchise fun animated film that is uh not disney or pixar so that's always notable but i have, film I I have lo- a quick fun detail about shrek to share which was when they were making the prince of egypt which is another movie i love by dreamworks the animated moses movie if you didn't do a good job in that movie they sent you to DreamWorks to go work on Shrek. They're like, hey, you've kind of let the ball down on Prince of Egypt. We're sending you away from Moses. We're giving you to Shrek. And they made you go work on Shrek. And that was a considered the dreaded movie to have to work on. And yet all these you know, years later, I, as much as I love Prince of Egypt and think it's a great movie, I think that Shrek has encompassed it and like become the much more impactful and widely beloved film. A movie I love from 2001 um, it got mixed reviews in the box office, but I, I like it quite a bit. I, it's one of my favorite war movies. Uh, it's called Enemy at the Gates. Uh, this movie was directed by Jacques, Jean-Jacques Arnaud. It uh, stars Jude Law, Ed Harris, Joseph Fiennes, and Rachel Weisz. Uh, a Russian and German sniper play, a game of cat and mouse during the Battle of Stalingrad. I don't love everything about this movie, Mike, but there's a lot that I love about it. First of all, I think it's one of the best movies that I've ever put a uh, cat and mouse sniper uh, play on screen where um, one, you know, it's, you got Jude Law and, and Ed Harris are basically like just hunting each other the entire movie. I think the, the 
the interplay between the two gets really intense when they're like looking at each other through the scopes and they're sort of it's just real really realistic snipers would sort of hunt each other and how it was this constant game <coughs> that was almost personal on a level like you've got this big massive war going on um but it's almost like a war within the war between these two ace snipers but the way it's shot the tension building is incredible. They take their time with it. They don't rush through it. Uh, they're not ready. They don't feel the need to have some sort of huge moment. It's just sort of like this uh, intimate interplay between these two ace snipers. Um, and that you, you juxtapose that against the start of the film, which uh, dramatizes the Battle of Stalingrad, um, which is one of the craziest war depictions I've seen put on screen where they, you know, the Russians are sending guys over there and one guy gets a rifle and one guy gets bullets. And then once the guy died with the rifle dies, the other guy with the bullets picks it up and charges forward. And then we see in the battle of Stalingrad, when the Russians start to retreat, the, the, the Russian commanders are shooting their own guys. And uh, I mean, the, the Western front of, uh, or the Russian front of, of the uh, world war II was, just brutal and this movie sort of gives a glimpse into that off the jump and then sort of tones it down for the rest of it that being said i think it does drag at times it's a little bit too long and the love story between jude law and rachel weiss is completely misplaced and unnecessary uh, but when it comes to the sniper stuff uh, i think it's super satisfying and sort of an underrated war movie you know what i think doesn't drag at all shrek <laughs> why, wait, here's what i don't get why is this you don't need pick? to talk about shrek anymore <laughs> why is this your pick like i mean because it's off the radar underrated movie but yeah but that's they go with it as an underrated movie why is this your pick for like one of the best movies it's not one of the best it's a movie i love there's a difference mike and i didn't say movies we hate i said a movie that we thought under was underwhelming so it's it's not it's not as black and white as you're trying to make it i love this movie i like watching it so it's a movie i love um Okay. Give that's me, fair. Uh, give me a film from 2001 that you rated. Okay. Wait a minute. That I think is underrated. You don't listen to me when I talk. I I couldn't hear you. You glitched out there for a minute. I so I have my list of one movie we love, one movie we hate, and one movie we think is underrated. And do we just I, jump from we love to we think is underrated? We only do one of each. Okay, so we're on which one now? Give me a movie that you think is underrated. Oh, I I have, again, five movies for this list. Give me I'll one. Just, I'll just focus on one. Conspiracy. So the, the five movies I had were Conspiracy, To End All Wars, A Night's Tale, The Mummy Returns, and Shaolin Soccer. But I'll, I'll just talk about Conspiracy because I, I genuinely think most people don't even know about this film. So Conspiracy is an, actually an HBO film. Uh, it made in 2001, starring Kenneth Branagh, Stanley Tucci, Colin Firth, uh, Ian McPeace, uh, David Threthel, Tom Hiddleston's even in it uh, briefly. So this is a movie that um, is all about the the Wansi Conference. And for those who don't know, this was basically when uh, like the Nazi High Party had a meeting to basically discuss... Um, I guess the best way to phrase it is, quote, the final solution to the Jewish question. So this was basically when the whole Nazi party top ranks got together to basically figure out how do we make the Holocaust happen? It's a chilling film. Um, it's extremely uh, play-like where the whole film kind of happens almost even in one room between a bunch of characters all sitting... It feels like 12 Angry Men, but Nazis trying to figure out how to murder everyone behind everyone's else's back. It's a chilling movie. It's a scary movie. It's a movie where they come up with all these very uh, hyper creepy rationalized ideas for how they want to murder Jewish people and how then they want to use the language to explain that to the German people in a way that's justifiable. And it just will freak you out how awful and you know horrifying what they did is but then also the process for you know if you had to figure out a way of saying like hey i have to figure out at work like i'm at my job my boss just told me i have to figure out how to murder like six million people today what do you think i should do like systematically how would i actually do that 
like you know where would i drive them how would i pay drivers like how, where would we get how many bolts would i have to authorize to get from who like and how would i it's just a horrifying truth to have to realize and this movie explores the 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 world war ii meeting that made it happen and it's terrifying and it's awful and i think a lot of people should watch it um, because it will be educational and hopefully create empathy for people. I, uh, Brana won an Emmy award for it. I think Tucci got like a golden globe for it. Um, and yeah, I think more people should know about this film because it will definitely chill your bones to see how the Holocaust happened. So I recommend conspiracy on HBO. Interesting. I've never, uh, never heard of that. So I just added it to my watch list and I'll have to check it out. Yeah, if you're, um, if you're a World War II person, you should, you should definitely watch this one. So a film that I think is underrated uh, from 2001, and I'm fully aware that this film has flaws and is not, uh, you know, like elite cinema, but I, I don't think it gets enough credit as it does, particularly within the sports genre. I'm going to go with Hardball. Uh, I, I, it's oh. a tearjerker. Uh, <clears throat> it's a little crazy, but... Uh, st- directed by Brian Robbins, starring Keanu Reeves and Diane Lane and John Hawks, a nameless young man who is scalping tickets, gambling and drinking, agrees to coach a little league team uh, from the Cabrini Green housing projects in Chicago as a condition of getting a loan from a friend. This is a, on its surface, it should just be like a formulaic sports movie. I think it attempts to go a little bit deeper than that. You've got this sort of loser guy who, uh, played by Keanu Reeves, who I think his character arc is, is is predictable, but but cool. How he sort of like uh, it basically takes the Gordon Bombay setup where that he's has to go coach a team because he's in debt to someone and ends up you know being a great coach and liking it and learning something from it. Um, but he's dealing with these you know inner city kids that he doesn't care about in the beginning and throughout the movie he learns to care about them. And I I just think there's some genuinely heartfelt movie moments in this movie whether it's uh, the kid who can only, you know, uh, pitch when he's listening to Big Papa and then they take his headphones away so the whole team starts singing or when Keanu Reeves really starts to stand up for these kids. Uh, there's some heartbreaking moments in this movie. I'm not going to specifically say what they are, but uh, they are really hard to watch. Um, but when, you know, by the time the movie ends, you feel good about what has transpired on screen. And is it formulaic in the sports genre? Yes. But does it have some of those moments that rise above? I think so. And I think Keanu Reeves gives a really charming, heartfelt performance. And I think Hardball is an underrated sports movie. So, yeah, this movie actually has a very interesting place in history where you think about like films and what they make and when they're released. Please don't forget, this film came out like this was first released in the theaters September 14th, 2001. So three days after 9-11, this movie was like, Mm. you know, suddenly like, hey, we're putting this out there. Everyone want to go see a movie? So the weekend weekend of (laughs) 9-11, this movie came out, which is a like, I mean, in terms of a movie release, that's like a nightmare. Um, so this movie will always have a special place in history for being the top film that came out the weekend of nine 11. Uh, it's a very well, weird thing to say about a movie, but, uh, what an interesting time to have your movie released. Like you, you work hard, you make a piece of art, you want people to come see it. You put it out there, you're hoping it's successful. And then nine 11 happens and everyone's like, well, <laughs> let's see. How yeah, you and it, like that's, I guess that's that makes sense because film. I guess that makes sense why maybe it's a little bit, you know, slept on or maybe not revered in the way it is because like who wants to go watch a movie, you know, that has some depressing moments three days after a huge tragedy like that. So maybe that explains a little bit why it slips through the cracks, but I know it has a cult following. Uh, There's some lines that are, that have stood the test of time, particularly from this character named G baby. Uh, So it's, it's definitely um, one that I think has a following, but maybe not enough people have seen. And I just think it's underrated when uh, people talk about sports movies because I've seen it several times and it hits me emotionally every time. I mean, it does, it works for me. So maybe it's a little bit corny, melodramatic, um, but I think there's some good lessons going on. And uh, I think it's a, a quality made movie and that doesn't get enough credit. So that's hardball came out in 2001. You want to know a baseball movie that I think uh, hits you in the emotional feels and doesn't get enough credit. What's that, Mike? 
The Pride of the Yankees, starring Gary Cooper and Teresa Wright. Rush that again. Man, Luke Gary, um, luckiest man so, speech every time. Wow. So, flash my forward. God bless flash you, Luke forward Gary. several decades. Uh, and give me a film that you were had high hopes for that uh, I never said films you hate, so I don't know where you got that from. What's the point of talking about a movie that you hate? Uh, I want to know a movie that you had high hopes for that sort of let you down from 2001. Okay, gotcha. Uh, on what you had listed as films I religiously object to, uh, as you worded it, was... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, so on films that we hate, um, I had a no, couple. not hate. <laughs> films that let, let us down okay there we go um okay i wrote a couple i'm just gonna tell you what they all were just because you know i don't care i'm just gonna say it uh i didn't care You're for trying Fast to steal Cruise. all my movies i didn't care for spy kids i didn't care for pearl harbor i didn't care for Jurassic Park three i really 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 though didn't care for the planet of the apes remake starring mark Wahlberg. I thought that movie was just so hard to watch. And I, I, even to this day, I remember watching the movie and I'm not, as far as I know, I'm not claustrophobic, but that movie made me feel claustrophobic. It just, in the way that the, like the, the armor and the way the apes were shot and like the way, like the makeup, like everything about the movie made me feel so constricted. And like, I couldn't, like even think about the film it was just so uncomfortable it was such a bad like take on the original especially now when you watch like the reboot trilogy they made matt reeves was heavily you know like rise of the planet of the apes like battle of the war you know like the the remake trilogy is just so superior and so beautifully constructed as both like a written story but just visually shot like and then you compare it to that hell of a remake they did with mark Wahlberg. like i just oh like that movie is just it's just it's it's next level bad like i i i don't mean to discredit anyone who was in it but just that artistic project did not land um if i if i'm not wrong i could be wrong someone can please look this up i think that tim roth turned down harry potter and to do that movie they're like hey do you want to be snape you were like the first pick and he's like no i'm gonna do planet of the apes <laughs> I, I i could be wrong i think that story is true someone can look it up and like you know repute me if you want that's fine i think that's true um okay yeah, well that uh, movie yeah. just that movie just made me feel bad to watch so i i i count that as a movie i i, I could never watch again i don't want to well, watch it and Planet of the Apes is like, as we saw with the the new movies, is, I mean, that's subject matter that really opens the door for a lot of interesting ideas and concepts and and things that you can explore. And that movie did none of them, so <laughs> I think it's okay to be panned with it. And it, it definitely was a big blockbuster. I'm, I went with Pearl Harbor because, uh, you know, that was a huge blockbuster movie. It's got a good cast. Expected a lot from it with the trailers, uh, because. I mean, it's a big blockbuster that that looked like it had potential. Obviously, Pearl Harbor is this massive, uh, you know, historical event that, um, you know, people, most people are who are alive now were not alive to see it in person. And sort of the, I thought the idea of the dramatization of that would be intriguing. Now, this being disappointed uh, with Pearl Harbor has nothing to do with like the 40 minute bombing scene. I think that that was well done. I mean, that was well shot. It's intense. It's depressing. It sort of, you know, gives you a real feeling of of dread and terror. And it it does put you in the shoes of what people in Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, must have been experiencing that day, both civilians uh, and military personnel. And when the Arizona is sinking, it definitely hits home hard. Um, but other than that, like, it seems like the director was basically just going for like Titanic with World War II. I think Michael Bay directed that movie. So I guess I shouldn't be surprised that it's all uh, flash and no substance. Um, but he was basically going for like Titanic in World War II, where you set this story of star-crossed lovers against the backdrop of a traumatic event. But the thing, the big difference is in Titanic Titanic is actually a good movie. <laughs> like you care about Jack and Rose. You care about what's happening to them amidst it whereas josh hartnett and uh ben affleck and is it is it Liv tyler are, are all in this or is it kate beckinsale i always get those <laughs> yeah, two mixed up. you're thinking of armageddon <laughs> it's kate beckinsale 
those two are the same person, aren't they? Kate Beckinsale, Liv Tyler, I swear they are. Um, but it's it's just like the love triangle is stupid. That is not what we need to be focusing on in a movie about Pearl Harbor. Like we don't need to be focusing on a stupid love triangle. And that was just such a, a miscalculated, misguided decision to make that the focus of the movie. Instead of just going with show us what happened at Pearl Harbor and show us what happened to the people at Pearl Harbor. Agreed. Like, I think the way it was also marketed, they're like, oh, this is going to be because Saving Private Ryan had just come out, which had like changed the way everyone thought about war films and the way people even thought about war and, and veterans in general. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, we're going to do that, but with Pearl Harbor. And then you get this like movie that I'm not going to lie. It, it's like there, there's a couple things I do actually love in Pearl Harbor, but for the most part, it just feels like let's do Pearl Harbor, but shot as an MTV music video. Like, like again, Michael, <clears throat> Michael Bay, like that's, that's what Pearl Harbor feels like as a film. It's just like, it doesn't feel like it's going to hit you in the, the graphic survival feels the way saving private ryan does they focus on this love story everything is like got this super high you know like lens of like color focus on it and it's just it's just not a not a strong like you know experience compared to like what was the real experience america had with that day like that's a very i don't i don't know if sacred's the right word but that's an extremely traumatically important moment in world history and they basically turned it into a, a soap like, opera and yeah an mtv soap opera which doesn't it's a work day, it's yeah. a day it's an oh, infamous man. day mike how about that yeah. it's an infamous day uh a day that will live in infamy uh if you will um but yeah it's you could it, huge missed opportunity to sort of shine a light uh, and actually represent what pearl harbor was all about and what it meant for america and instead it's this stripped down soap opera and that's just disappointing because it's a big missed opportunity and then you got Doolittle's raid is sort of shoehorned in at the end to sort of try and make us feel better about you know getting even when it's like yeah that was a successful raid for morale purposes but it was nothing compared to Pearl Harbor and the movie tries to act like Doolittle's raid like turned the course of the war and it's just uh, it's a little bit too preachy uh at the end and and it's a little bit too preachy and neat because nothing about Pearl Harbor was neat so, no. yeah. uh, you know, I just think it was, you know, Michael Bay, maybe not the best person uh, to handle <laughs> that sort of intense subject matter. But uh, other things that I mean, now we can sort of list now that we've gone through it. I mean, like other I had A Knight's Tale under films I loved. I had Blow under films I loved. I had What Women Want, the Mel Gibson rom-com as films that I think were underrated. And I also had Tomb Raider as a move with uh, Angelina Jolie as a movie that I was hyped about that I thought was underwhelming. So is there anything else out there that we haven't discussed for you? I mean, Shortly. I put down, Shortly. I put down to end all wars, which is uh, a kind of an independent war film about world war two is about like, it, basically it's about the, the same kind of story that they use to make uh, uh, a bridge across the river Kwai. Um, but uh, this is about like, it's, it's more historically based and there, there's very much this idea of like, people surviving and like how do you survive in that environment and then also how do you find love for your enemy i think that was what i liked about the movie was to end all wars was a film that focused on a world war ii story that didn't want to like glorify the war but wanted to glorify peacemaking um which i thought was very cool and then shulin soccer is a film that a lot of people haven't seen but if you like kung fu hustle uh it's the same it's it's the same people and they basically make a, like a kung fu movie about soccer, and it's hysterical but very fun. And also, if you like soccer, it, like it, it's generally a good soccer movie. So, I like that one as well. Um, but yeah, Knight's Tale, man, some of the best anachronistic uh, storytelling ever done in a movie. I love a Knight's Tale. I just love how there's like modern music in it, and they're treating like jousts like a modern day sporting event. Just that that worked for yeah. some reason. And and Heath Ledger is just like he's just charming as hell in that movie so yeah. r.i.p heath we miss you uh yeah i liked i liked tonight's tale because it didn't take itself too seriously you know <laughs> let me ask you something do you think had he lived and we were you know we were in COVID right now do you think they'd be like oh like all these nostalgia films we're gonna do a, a night's tale too do you, do you think night's tale is one of the movies they would have picked for a sequel at this at this time in history i don't know 
I hope not, <laughs> but you can never put it past anyone. Like everything's got to have a sequel these days, but uh, let's see. We're going wrong, Mike. Anything else you got? We got to get out of here. Um, I hope your baby's doing okay. I hope your lady's doing okay. And I hope you're doing okay. Uh, tough time for everyone. Um, let's just get through it. Let's talk about movies. And seriously, tell us movies you want us to watch or you want us to review. If you have old movies, you're like, hey, I don't know if you've ever seen this great Audrey Hepburn movie, Wait Until Dark, but she plays a blind woman who has to survive against Alan Arkin as a murderer. You know, let us know about these movies. Again, uh, that might be a movie I just rewatched uh, for fun. But um, <laughs> if you have movies you like, let us know. We'd love to watch them. We'd love to talk about them. I know I kind of I've I've seen Doctor Strange uh, universe of, or multiverse of madness and I really want to talk to you about it but I can't spoil it for you so watch it and um, hopefully we get to talk about that soon. Next pod, next pod for sure. So hope you next guys pod. enjoyed the little throwback theater going going back down to 2001. It was definitely a great year for movies and uh, also the other reviews. Yeah, the Northman, multiverse of madness. Hopefully on the next pod, uh, maybe we'll dip into the old segments. Um, but that's going to do it for today's episode of the second day film podcast. Mike appreciate it as always, uh, always a good time. Like I said, hope you guys enjoyed the trip down memory lane. So, um, you can check out our work or check out, uh, our Facebook page on Twitter. You can hit us up. Tell us what you want us to watch. Tell us what you liked from 2001. There was a lot of movies just looking at the list. So, uh, for Mike Nichols, I'm Brandon champion. Thank you for listening to the second day film podcast. We'll talk to you next time and we'll see you 